Hello, my mammals. Thank you for tuning in to the first ever episode of Too Long Didn't Bother, the show for when something is too long and you just don't want to bother. I'll bother for you. I'm your host, Pia, and you are listening to UCC 98.3 FM. So let's jump right in. This week, we're going to cover one of my favorite video game series of all time, the popular and inktastic Splatoon for the Nintendo Switch and the console who shall not be named, the Wii U. So let's jump right into it. Splatoon was first imagined by Nintendo game designer Shintaro Sato back in the ancient year of 2013, almost 10 years ago. Yeah, that long ago. That's a whole child right there. Now, Sato had a good few games already under his belt, having worked on other Nintendo works like Wii Music, New Super Mario Bros. U, but had never come up with the game himself until then. At the time, Sato created a prototype of a 4v4 ink-based competitive shooter game and brought it to Nintendo. It was quickly approved and put into production. However, there were a few speed bumps along the way. The first being that Sato wanted the characters to be squids, which Nintendo director Shigeru Miyamoto did not like, as he said there would be no appeal for a game about fighting squids. The team then conceptualized the idea that as a squid, you can transform in between a humanoid shape and a squid shape fluidly, pun intended, meaning you are able to both walk on ink as a humanoid and swim in the ink as a squid, a fresh and interesting concept that hit very well with test players. The game was then released for the Wii U in the summer of 2015 and was a huge hit, selling over 4.9 million copies in its first year, including my own copy, which, you know, I held, held very, very dear to my heart. Now, onto the actual game, but more specifically, the history within it, as it's intrinsic to the plot. Now, when you think of video games marketed to children, what do you think of? Cute and cuddly characters? Marketable merchandise? Really silly and goofy levels where the aim is to cover a statue in paint to save the planet? How about war? Rising sea levels? Mass extinction? Well, Splatoon brings all of these to the table and more. The first game, titled Splatoon, is set in the very, very distant future, approximately 12,000 years after the world has been almost entirely flooded to, you guessed it, climate change. After the world becomes a water balloon as a result of many different factors that would have been avoided, Humans and many of the land-dwelling flora and fauna go extinct as a result. This means that sea life are now the new rulers of the planet, and this culminates in many different types of sea creatures evolving to live on the few and far between land masses that are left. This is how the designers implemented the aforementioned transformation mechanic, where the squid people or inklings transform into humanoid form to walk on land and squid form to swim. The thing is, once the inklings evolved on land and started using their ink to move around, they unfortunately evolved in a way that they can no longer swim in water and ironically drown in it. Their humanoid physique also resulted in the inklings taking on human-like characteristics, devising their own languages, texts, clothing, and even music. Unfortunately, what also involved with them is the need for expansion, and with that comes conflict. And the minimal land space left after the floods ended up becoming a war zone for cephalopods, with the rise of not only inklings, but also octopus people, or octarians. Due to the rising tensions between the Octarians and Inklings, there were a great many battles or turf wars in order to quite literally mark the ground on which each territory was with their ink. Unfortunately, there was to be a victor in almost every war, and the Octarians were defeated. Since there was no space on the surface, the Octarians were forced to take shelter underground in a place called Octo Canyon, as they too cannot swim. And so they stayed underground until the events of Splatoon. Since music is very much a staple of Splatoon, I'm going to take a small break and I'm going to play a song from the game which plays when you're in Octo Canyon during the story mode of the campaign. This song is called Cephalo Parade and is by the artist <laughs> Turquoise October and Octarian.
And we are back, and here to talk about the story mode plot of Splatoon. The game is, as mentioned before, set in the distant future. Well, I suppose very far future now, to be honest, but I mean, a future which is very relevant to now. The Great Turf War is said to have happened around 100 years before the plot of Splatoon is set, and that is made evident by the character of Captain Cuttlefish, a Turf War veteran who sets the player nicknamed Agent 3 out on their journey. Along with Cuttlefish are his two granddaughters, Callie and Marie, who make up the duo of the Squid Sisters, famous inkling idols who double as secret agents, and fun fact, are actually cousins, not sisters. Top tip, Marie is the better sister. These are just facts, and I will debate this until the day I die. Now, the trouble that is brewing in Splatoon is that of the Octarians once again, with a large-scale blackout having happened in the city of Inkopolis as a result of their main power source, a giant electric catfish named the Great Zapfish, having been stolen by the Octarians. That was a mouthful. The player, along with the help of Cuttlefish and the Squid Sisters, must navigate through the underground civilization of the Octarians named Octo Valley in search of the Great Zapfish, or Inkopolis will rena- remain powerless and, you know, they need power to survive. The campaign comprises numerous levels that teach the player not only how to play the game, but also skills that can be used in the boss fights that result at the end of each area of Octo Valley, being uncovered and any Octarians defeated. There are four main bosses in Splatoon, along with a final boss, uh, designed not to only spread ink um, absolutely everywhere, but are also said to be weapons of mass destruction created of the purpose of one day journeying back up to the surface to reclaim the land taken by the Inklings. So kind of scary, and you know their designs are really creepy as well. One's like a giant cube um, that jumps on top of you and squishes you, and it's just all very... uh, It's a cute game, but then it gets really crazy as well, and it's just, uh, I don't know, scary. As the player, you dispatch each of these devices and the Octarians inside them too, and eventually you make your way to the final boss. After having learned all the tricks, you come face to face with the Octarian leader, DJ Octavio. Using the power of friendship, no, the power of the great Zapfish, Octavio made a giant floating ship with extendable arms and cannons which he intends to storm the surface with. Of course, that can't happen now that the Inklings have expanded to occupy almost all of the surface space. So along with the awesome new skills you have learned during the campaign, as well as your own personal hype squad consisting of the Squid Sisters and Captain Cutterfish himself, uh, you defeat DJ Octavio and Encopolis is saved. And that's actually only half of the game. So that's the story mode single-player campaign. The other half of the game is the multiplayer aspect, where you play alongside and against other real-world players in Turf Wars that are similar to the ones from Cephalopodic history. However, these are for fun and not for mass extinction and territorial reclaim. It's kind of expected that you play the campaign before you enter multiplayer, as the aforementioned skills you learn in the story mode are also there to help you in multiplayer. Within that mode, there are a few different options, casual or ranked. In casual, the aim is just to ink as much ground as possible within three minutes, whereas the ranked has a range of game modes from tower control to shooting each other with a giant cannon that looks like a fish. And with this, there's something for everyone to play. As well as that, there are a large number of different weapons you can use. The weapons either resemble water guns or some sort of art utensil, each with different strengths and weaknesses. For example, one of my personal favorites is a roller, which resembles a paint roller, and they have high damage, good ink spreading capabilities, but leave you vulnerable to enemy attacks as they're very slow. They're also very good for spreading ink, which is one of the main ways that you play the game. There are also aerosprays, which is my number one favorite, which look like spray paint guns and have decent damage and decent maneuverability in contrast to the rollers. And everyone absolutely despises you for using them, um, literally because they're so broken. Uh, They actually change that in future updates. Uh, But as well as weapons, there are outfits as well. With abilities that enhance your gameplay, there are things like shoes that increase swim speed, 
shirts that make you virtually invisible in ink, or even hats that show you where the person that killed, or as they call it in the game, splatted you, is on the map. And the customizability is really endless. The big events that always draw players to the games are what are called Splatfests. These are massive worldwide events where the idols of the game, in this case Callie and Marie, pick two different things. For example, ketchup versus mayo, and you join whichever team you align with. With that, you gain this special game mode where you fight against the other team in battles to see whoever gets the most wins to determine who the winner between the two things is. This also includes popularity as well. So if one team was more popular than the other, as in like more players picked that particular team, then they get extra points for that as well, not just based on, you know, who wins the most games. The final Splatfests are very important to the final of Splatoon. And the final of Splatoon 1 was Callie versus Marie with Team Marie winning, which I was very proudly a part of, you know, gotta rep my girl, she's my favourite. And that is all you need to know about the first game for the most part. Before I start to talk about the second game, I'll play you a song from the first game, which plays during the final boss fight against DJ Octavio called Calamari Incantation by the Squid Sisters. Let's get on to Splatoon 2, which is personally my favorite game in the franchise just because of how ambitious it was in many different ways. Now, Splatoon 2 hit the shelves in 2017, two years after the first game, and it was really, really anticipated since its announcement at E3, and so many fans were really hyped for it. However, unfortunately, on release, it did leave a good bit to be desired at first, and this is like no fault of anyone. This is just because everyone had such really high expectations and they just didn't really deliver until later, which I will get into. The game is, of course, set two years after the events of Splatoon 1, similar to how the game was released two years after the first one. We're introduced to two new idols since the retirement of the Squid Sisters, 
a singing and rap duo named Off the Hook, comprised of an inkling Pearl and our first ever Octolink character, Marina, who I'll go into more detail about in a bit. For the most part, the game was quite similar to Splatoon 1 multiplayer-wise, with a few new weapons and customizables being added. However, for new content, there was an entire new game mode added called Salmon Run, which is basically Nintendo's answer to Call of Duty Zombies. Uh, now, some people absolutely hate this game mode, and I don't blame them, but personally, I actually significantly prefer it to the actual Turf Wars, similar to how I prefer COD Zombies to actual COD games. In this, there are hordes of salmon creatures called salmonids who swarm the shore and you're tasked with culling them and stealing their golden eggs as directed by the character of Mr. Grizz, who is basically, he's assumed to be a bear, but that isn't revealed until later in the franchise. Um, but he's represented by a wooden statue in, basically it's like this office that you go into and it's kind of treated as a part-time job that you go to to earn money by culling the salmonids and stealing their eggs. And it's, you know, the whole play on, you know, bears versus salmon and stuff like that. So he's not confirmed as a bear until Splatoon 3, but at the moment he's represented by a statue of a bear with a salmon. So you cull the salmon and you steal their eggs, placing these eggs in a basket. And similar to cod zombies, there are multiple waves and even boss waves where quirky and interesting things happen. All you need to know is that glow flies are the worst special round. Uh, there's multiple different types of special rounds. So like there, for example, there's flutters, which are these giant enemies that actually were in Splatoon 1 in the campaign and were in Splatoon 2 in the campaign as well. That are these giant mechanical beings that basically just like rain ink on top of you and you just die instantly as soon as you go underneath them. They're really annoying. Uh, and there's also like, you know, there's rounds where there's like a golden salmonid that like gives extra eggs and you have to collect them. But the worst one by far is glowflies. So these glowflies, which are actually tiny golden salmonids, stick to your one of your teammates. So it could be you or it could be someone else on your team. And every single enemy on the field will target that one player. Now, see, that sounds easy to control, except in Splatoon 2, there's not really anywhere to, like, hide. They're, like, there's walls you can, like, go up, and there's bits you can stand on top of, but all of the enemies aren't just going for you. They're also extremely fast, like, way faster than normal and way stronger than normal, so they basically just instantly kill you in the game, and it's just so frustrating, so rage-inducing. I don't think there is a single person that likes Glowflies and is not on some sort of watch list somewhere because it is really just the most annoying game mode ever. And I love that game. I love Salmon Run, but just that, oh, it makes me want to disconnect every single time whenever they show up on the screen. It's like a collective groan amongst the team whenever they show up. Similarly to Splatoon though, Splatoon 2 also has a story mode. Um, to say that this story mode was a bit of a letdown is a gross understatement. <laughs> Leading on from Splatoon, it is revealed to the players, majorly through the story of the Octoling Idol Marina, that the Octarians actually are not as evil as we are led to believe. In fact, and let's be honest here, the dictator, he's a dictator, DJ Octavio, had actually been brainwashing them through music and ideology in order to hate the Inklings on the surface, and it turns out that the Inklings are supposedly actually pretty chill with the Octarians, and the only thing keeping them down there was the fact that they were brainwashed. Like, they don't want to leave. Basically, it's this whole concept that, you know, oh, the Inklings are bad. They don't, they're going to kill you. They're like monsters, things like that. And so the Octolings never want to leave Octo Valley because they're like, oh, no, they're going to kill us kind of thing. Uh, it's then stated that due to the Squid Sisters Calamari incantation, which I just played um, and was playing during the final boss battle against DJ Octavio, 
the Inkling music actually somehow unbrainwashed all of the Octarians, including Marina herself. Marina then defected the Octarian army and escaped to Inkopolis, becoming a successful idol in the process, along with her friend, in quotes, Pearl. Uh, and I say in quotes because they're friends in the way that, you know, two girls who never marry and live together for the rest of their lives are best friends slash roommates slash whatever. Um, they're basically just lesbians, but Nintendo was too scared to say so. Um, it, anyway, with this, DJ Octavio loses his army, so he becomes he comes up with a plan to brainwash all of the Octarians once again to get his army back, because he's really hell bent on you know taking over Inkopolis. Um, I don't know why he just wants to, uh, which is now the story mode of Splatoon Two. That's how it starts basically. So it starts with Marie showing up in Inkopolis Square. Uh, this time, like, instead of Captain Cuttlefish, you know, if you remember in the first game, it was Captain Cuttlefish that starts the story mode. This time it's Marie. Uh, and basically, that is our first instance of the final Splatfest influencing a future game. So Marie won, the f- was the winner of the final Splatfest. Everyone voted for Marie. Marie uh, the Marie fans won the last battle. And so, therefore, she was intrinsic to the plot of the second game. Um, and so basically she shows up and she tells the player's character, nicknamed Agent 4, that Callie is missing. Uh, this results in a campaign, unfortunately, very similar to Splatoon 1, ending in the reveal that Callie herself has been brainwashed by these special sunglasses that DJ Octavio created in order to get his army back. Of course, you defeat Octavio once again, save Callie by, you know, an amazing sniper shot from Marie. Marie's, she uses what are called... The sniper rifles of Splatoon, which are called Chargers, another weapon that everyone will hate you for using. She, you know, she does this really cinematic shot where she shoots the sunglasses off of Callie's face and she saves her and it's all like, oh, sisters, yay, except that they're cousins. Um, And all is well. Or is it? Now, unfortunately, this story mode was very, it was quite disappointing because it was so similar to the first game. And so as a result, people were very disappointed in how similar it was. But what they were not in store for was the amazing DLC for the game that came later on. uh, I I believe it was the next year, actually, which single-handedly made the game Splatoon 2 the best in the franchise. Now, before I go into that, though, let's hear another excerpt from the Splatoon soundtrack, this time from Splatoon 2, namely one of Off the Hook's songs. It's called Color Pulse by Off the Hook.
So that was, once again, Color Pulse by Off The Hook, the two idols from Splatoon 2. And I forgot to mention this earlier, but all of Splatoon's songs and the Splatoon language, uh, the language of the Inklings and both Octolings, is just completely gibberish. Uh, so <laughs> it's very funny that there was this history of uh, people making lyric videos for the songs and kind of, you know, trying to interpret what they were saying and so they would like hear words and they'd I guess kind of similar to like minions in Despicable Me where it was like there'd be kind of little bits where you can kind of hear words coming out of it but they're actually just speaking gibberish so it was quite funny seeing that um those lyric videos and it's like oh uh, I believe in that one it was like they believed that Pearl was saying like mini mini hot dog at one stage so that was quite funny um I don't know why that was a thing but it still is to today so the DLC for Splatoon 2, called the Octo Expansion, absolutely revolutionized the series. It almost felt like an entirely different game, leading some to calling it Splatoon 2.5 as a result. In this DLC, you play, for the first time ever, as an Octoling. This fact alone had fans going, oh my god, there were some ridiculous behaviors, like, oh my goodness, they were going absolutely wild. Um, but even the whole rest of it just blew everyone's mind. Um... Like, the fact that you were able to play as an Octoling already was like, oh my goodness. And I really cannot phrase how amazing this was when it first came out. Um, but anyway, you play as an Octoling who wakes up in a seemingly abandoned subway station where you run into none other than Captain Cuttlefish, the squid himself. And he informs the player that they had fought with Agent 3, your character from the campaign in the first game, and lost all of your memories. The two end up happening on a strange cell phone booth. Uh, by the way, the player that you play as is nicknamed Agent 8, you know, as in 8, as in Octo 8, you know, funny. They're very good with those puns. Uh, so, yeah, you, you basically stumble upon a phone booth um, who you will na later to be uh, named Captain Tartar, Commander Tartar, sorry, uh, who speaks of enlightenment and requests that you find four items named Thangs in order to reach this said enlightenment, which Captain and the player, nicknamed Agent 8, uh, like I said, take to mean escaping the facility. A subway train then pulls up and we're met with another character, the train conductor, Sea Cucumber, who is literally a blue sea cucumber. And so it's like, his name is the letter C, the letter Q, and then Cumber. So it's, you know, once again, they're creative with the names. Who guides the player through the metro map of different levels, each more or less difficult than the last. And goodness, are some of these levels ridiculously difficult to beat? Like, it had me questioning sometimes as, is this actually a kid's game or not? Like, there are timers on the levels, um, like, if you don't finish fast enough, you die. Levels where if you use too much ink, you die, um, etc. Um, but uh, for as difficult as they are, it is so fulfilling to finish the story mode. Oh my goodness, like, once you clear all of those levels, it's like, I don't know, you feel like you've accomplished something more than yourself somehow. Like, oh my goodness, like, my parents are proud of me, even though I'm literally playing a video game for children. But anyway, along the way, the player is introduced to Marina and Pearl again, who are there to help you out of the subway. Once all of the thangs are collected, you know, by working through all of the levels, um, you bring them all back to Tartar, and he finally reveals himself to be a giant blender and puts you and Captain into the, himself and attempts to blend you, but you're saved by Agent 3. He then reveals that he's actually a leftover AI created by the humans 12,000 years ago and the entire underground is a testing facility which subjected over 10,000 other creatures, which is like evident by the fact that once you meet him in the first time, uh, your character Agent 8 is named subject number 
10,008. So, like, there's 10,007 other creatures got blended, which is pretty, like, once you think about it, like, why is that in a kid's game? Anyway, if they were successful, which none of them were, Tartar would transfer all of the knowledge of humanity that Tartar had inside himself into the new life form. But the thing is, is that, you know, even though you completed all of the tasks and, you know, you were an exemplary test subject, he deemed all octolings and inklings not worthy of the gift since they resembled humanity too much, you know, with their fashion, warfare, music. And as a result, he wants to destroy all life on Earth and start again, which is another concept that's wild for a kid's video game. This results in the final battle where Tartar reveals a giant statue similar to that of the Statue of Liberty, which is, you know, funnily enough, referencing the Planet of the Apes in a way, uh, which has a giant gun inside of it filled with toxic primordial sludge that will coat the planet and kill all life on it. There's one issue, though. The statue needs the sun to charge, and so the player is tasked with coating the statue in ink before it can fully charge and destroy everything. What follows is an epic final battle, which is honestly, in my opinion, the best in the series, with an absolutely banging song where the player zips all of the statue and coats it in ink to save the world. Tartar, of course, is destroyed along with his statue, and Agent 8, along with the others, are free, with Agent 8 journeying to the surface for the first time in their life. It's kind of implied that after the events of the Octo expansion, that the rest of the Octolings from Octo Valley finally come up to the surface, similar to how Marina did, and integrate into Inkling society properly. The story mode was phenomenal, and though it had a lot of elements of Splatoon within, like for example, a lot of Octarians showed up, um, it felt almost entirely new. There was also a battle with Agent 3, so it was almost as if you were fighting yourself from the past in a way, but it was it was really awesome. And it was heavily grounded in science fiction. Like the other story modes were very much like, oh, this is a kid's game kind of thing, but it was like, you know, it was very dystopian, the setting, and it was like, oh, you know, the world's going to end kind of thing. Like the previous ones, it was just like, oh, Incopolis will be without power. This one was like, everyone's going to die. And oh, it was it was wild. And I just love that story mode so much. But with that, I'm going to play the song from the Octo Expansion final boss, which is Fly Octofly slash Ebb and Flow by Off the Hook, before I go into the newest game in the series, Splatoon 3.
And so that was Fly Octofly slash Ebb and Flow from Off the Hook, Pearl and Marina, the two idols from Splatoon 2. And now finally, we're on to the third, and it's presumed to be the final game in the series, Splatoon 3. Now this game came out last year in 2022, five years after the last game, and is also once again set five years after the events of Splatoon 2, similarly to how Splatoon 2 was set two years after the first game. Uh, it would have been great if it was set three years, and that could be like, you know, two years and then three years, but Nintendo really wanted to dedicate a lot of time to this game. And it it honestly really did show, like this game adopted many of the previous game's parts and embellished upon them so much, namely including Octolings as playables from the start. Like, for example, in Splatoon 2, they weren't available from the start. You had to buy the DLC um, Octo expansion and then you would be able to play as an Octoling once you finished that DLC. Um, and then Agent 8 was, you know, reintegrated into society and it was all part of the story and everything like that. But in Splatoon 3, you were able to play as an Octoling from the get-go, which was really interesting. It also uh, reintroduced Salmon Run, improving on the gameplay so much. Uh, for example, in Splatoon 2 Salmon Run, once you collected golden eggs, you had to go right to the basket to put them in, which took so long. Whereas in Splatoon 3, you, they put in this like throwing mechanic uh, where you can like throw the egg into the basket, which also was for... the. There's kind of like a bigger boss now in Splatoon Run called the King Salmonid. And oh my God, he, everyone calls him the Chonker because he's like, he is literally like the same size as like half of the map. Um, for some of the maps like there's different sizes of maps and for the small maps uh he is literally half the size of the map and he's basically the, just this giant salmon uh he's very bulbous and he kind of just goes around the map trying to kill everyone and he's basically like a giant boss battle where you just all have to keep shooting him um, and throwing golden eggs at him causes more damage to him um and but the only thing is that they they put in this new mechanic of you're able to uh customize and get new gear for salmon run um which was a new thing that they brought in uh so you can like you know change the color of things you can so like currently my i believe my my outfit is blue at the moment i think or is it no i think it's black i think and i really want the blue one or it's or vice versa i can't remember i haven't played it in a while that tells you how much <laughs> i play splatoon at the moment it tells you how much i play video games at the moment really i guess but so yeah you can customize things and you get these sort of like this currency from attacking the King Salmonid, who basically he only appears the more games of Salmon Run that you play uh, and the more damage you do to him gives you more things. But it's kind of, it's done badly in that like if you do more damage, that doesn't necessarily mean that you get the higher quality uh, or higher amount of drops um, of the currency. So it's kind of, I don't know, everyone's kind of annoyed with how that works. Hopefully they're going to fix it and get it better. Um, but anyway... Uh, the throwing of eggs is just a mechanic that improved everything. Uh, but onto the actual game, one major bit about it was that it centers around chaos, which is important as this was actually uh, the splat the final Splatfest theme of Splatoon 2. So the final Splatfest of Splatoon 2 was chaos versus order. Um, and Pearl was chaos and Marina was order. And chaos won... I was part of that as well. Pearl's the better idol. Actually, no, that's that's a lie. I like both of them. Um, Pearl's my favorite though, but they're both really good idols. Um, but yeah, Pearl deserved to win anyway. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but this is once again 
where the final Splatfest of the game influenced the subsequent game. And so Splatoon 3, similar to how Splatoon 2, Splatoon 2's story was mostly based on the final Splatfest, but the entirety of Splatoon 3 was based on the final Splatfest. So Splatoon 3 is basically, it's set in kind of like a desert kind of scape now, because basically what's happened is it's it's implied that the fall of society has happened in Incopolis, which is quite interesting to note. And as a result of chaos winning and... Uh, basically what happened is that then it everything was thrown out the window and now instead of just two idols there's now three so there's an inkling named Fry an octoling named Shiver and a third new character named Big Man who's actually a manta ray and they make up Deep Cut Um, and so this is the first time there's three idols you know Splatoon 3 three idols but it was interesting to note that this is the first time that like a non-cephalopod character was included as an idol and people went wild. Everyone loves Big Man. If you are to say, oh, if someone asks you who's your favorite Splatoon character, say Big Man and they just won't ask any more questions because everyone just loves him. Uh, but it, <laughs> they love him, but not enough to win every single Splatfest since uh, because Shiver seems to win them. Um, Shiver's my personal favorite and we always win every single time. So that's, that's all I'm going to say. Um, but the story campaign was better than Splatoon 2's base one but it also, once again, left a lot to be desired. Um, similarly to the previous games, you're tasked with going through Octo Valley and splatting Octarians. However, they're hairy. <laughs> it's like very interesting. They're hairy. Um, and along with the player, nicknamed Agent 3 once again, because basically what happens is after uh, Splatoon 2, Agent 3 from the first game, who was your playable character in the first game, becomes Captain. And now the Agent in Splatoon 3 is now Agent 3. Okay, I hope that made sense. And Captain Cuttlefish is now Craig Cuttlefish. His name's Craig. <laughs> that was like a fact that everyone went wild for. Um, and you also have a salmonid pet called Little Buddy. So you basically fall into this crater um, in Octo Valley, which is said to be an Alterna testing facility, similar to the one in the Octo expansion, but kind of different in its own way. Um, and there's all this like hairy masses everywhere. And if you touch them, you die. So except that little buddy can eat them. So basically you go around the map, uh, clearing the map of this hair um, and going through new levels, splatting all of the enemies until you get to sort of the final area, which is, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, the bosses in this game are interesting because there are the mechanical bosses like the previous games, except this is the first time that idols are actually bosses. So you fight Fry, Shiver, and then Big Man, throughout the game because basically it's made that the entire area is kind of a scavenging area and they're kind of the main scavengers of the area so when you find different pieces um to progress the game kind of similar okay i'll go into how it's similar to the octo expansion a little bit later but uh you basically you scavenge for parts and they fight you for those parts and then they're like oh no keep those parts um so it's interesting that that was the first time that the idols were became they became bosses um, but anyway, as you progress, uh, the whole scheme of it is revealed and it's actually Mr. Grizz this time is the main boss of the game. And his plan is to basically turn everyone into a mammal, uh, because he believes that the mammals are the superior species on the planet and that er everything should go back to the way it was before the floods and everything and everyone should become mammals again. 
this ends with people defeating. So he's defeated. Uh, and then basically what happens is he goes to space. <laughs> yeah, we go to space in the game um, and you basically fight him in space. And what happens is your little buddy becomes because he, he's a small fry he turns into a huge fry and then there's a giant kaiju-esque battle between mr grizz and the a giant salmon um and it's quite entertaining and it's kind of like what is going on this entire story mode campaign seems like a fever dream almost with the way that it goes and so eventually mr grizz is defeated and everything's all right in the world um but along with that dj octavio is also there you find him at one stage and then he realizes oh actually we're not fighting each other we're actually both going for the same goal and he kind of has a redeeming moment after being you know the major antagonist of the previous two games i mean i don't think he's cleared of his sins in any way shape or form i think he killed loads of people and just brainwashed a bunch of people and that's its own thing but you know they they redeemed him the best that they could um but anyway yeah it was a pretty wild uh encounter the entire <laughs> story mode um but it ends up that you know everything's good everything's dandy fine and dandy and so the current plans for Splatoon 3 at the moment is that there's going to be a an order it's called side order but that's going to be the dlc for Splatoon 3 and that's coming out in the in spring of 2024 so i'll probably speak about that again when that comes out but for now uh you know that's kind of how the games go and you know to round off the show i'll play the sort of final it's it's basically throughout the games there's kind of a remix of calamari incantation in each game now i don't really like the remix that's in the second game lots of people like it i actually don't that's why i didn't play it but i really like the one from the third game and so i'm gonna play it to sort of round out the show um and it's actually like seven minutes long <laughs> which is why um so i'll play that and then if there's time as well i'll play the final song from splatoon 1 which is so this one's called the calamari incantation 3 mix which is dj octavio featuring the squid sisters plus deep cut and then after that hopefully i can play maritime memory by the squid sisters which is the final song uh final song from splatoon 3 and the final song from splatoon 1 so here is calamari incantation 3 mix
Clash de Nahalskala Kirkig, Nohawk Pointer Tree FM.